WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchok, alongside my partner, Stephen Trinkwald. We are running right through our 2023 team outlooks. As Stephen, I think an episode that at least you and I are really looking forward to doing, the Chicago Sky. Yeah, a team I think that will be pretty interesting, uh, conceptually at least, if not the, the product itself. But uh, the Sky last year were 26-10, and 10, Eric, tied for the best record in the league. Uh, they were the number two seed in the playoffs, third in net rating at a uh, positive 6.0. They were third in offense, 105.8 offensive rating, fourth in defense, 99.7. Uh, mentioned last week that they were one of just two teams in the top four of both offense and defense. As I mentioned, they were the number two seed in the playoffs. They uh, defeated the number seven seed Liberty in a pretty fun three-game first-round series before eventually losing in five games to the Connecticut Sun in the second round. But, you know, it, it really did feel over the course of the season that they were one of the two best teams all season. You know, it felt like we were kind of destined for a Vegas Sky Finals, and I think we were robbed of, of what could have been a really great final series. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it did seem like the Sky and the Aces were kind of on a collision course there until the Sky really... They they had that semifinal series. It feels like you know in the fight in the waning minutes of Game Five, um, they they were not up to the task for whatever reason. But um, throughout the course of the season, it was they were a really fun team to watch. You know, I might be a little biased, but you know I've seen a lot of Chicago Sky teams now, and this is right up there with the best of them, maybe the best ever, at least in course in terms of you know regular season success. You know, there is so much hype heading into the season because they they're coming off their first ever championship in 2021 and then they significantly upgraded their roster you know they were able to get emma misaman they're able to get julie aleman they're able to get rebecca gardner although we didn't realize at the time just how good rebecca gardner was it just seemed like they they took a team that won a championship maybe improbably but then made it even better you know going up against some pretty you know unfavorable salary cap uh, situation so yeah um james wade winning executive of the year. I think it was well-deserved in that respect, but where do you want to start with this guy, the 2022 guy? Well, I, I did just want to kind of, you know, agree with what you said. They were uh, a pleasure to watch. Obviously, you know, they came up a little bit short, but they were probably my favorite team to watch since that 2018 Storm team. The The style of play, they, they just played the beautiful game offensively. Uh, you mentioned James Wade and the roster construction. Obviously, a lot of that doesn't happen if there weren't some players willing to take serious discounts on kind of what their their earning potential could be you know in, in an open market so credit to James Wade but definitely credit to the players for kind of putting together something special and which we are completely for by the way or you know but whatever if a player wants to take as much as they can that that's cool too um Work for that as well <laughs> uh and you know outside of truly having one of you know the the two or three best players a tier one player in the league like they just had a perfectly constructed roster I think you know that eight to nine player rotation, being able to bring in Emma Misum in, a player who I think we both assumed would either play in Washington or maybe not play in, in the WNBA at all. Like, you know, their bigs just complemented each other so well. They could all score inside. They could all score outside. They all moved without the, the ball. And obviously Misum and Parker are just tremendous passers for their position. Their wing rotation, you know, the ability to, to really kind of go offense, defense, but not really sacrifice too much. Uh, on either end, if you're kind of making those substitutions, you know, betting on Rebecca Gardner without even really seeing her in training camp, obviously, yeah. 
obviously a great call by James Wade, far exceeding our expectations as, you know, people had seen her uh, throughout her EuroLeague career, but I don't think we were ever expecting what we got last year. You know, how the potential spacing limitations with Copper and Gardner together were, were mitigated by just how good they were attacking off the bounce, moving without the ball, the floor spacing this team had, and then being able, of course, to bring in Julie Alamon, like you said, as well, to back up Courtney Vandersloot. Didn't have a great playoffs, but definitely one of the better backup point guards in the league. There's probably some some things we could nitpick about her game and, and her assertiveness and, and maybe overpassing a little bit, but it was obviously like a great trade, a, a total win of a trade to get some draft capital and Julie Alamon in, in that Diamond to Shields trade. And, you know, the team had six players average double figures scoring per game in, in the regular season. It was just an extremely balanced and, and really fun team to watch. You know, that, that last point you made in particular really does embody what the Sky were about last season. Uh, it, one, I mean, they were just so fun to watch because they were, I think, a really smart basketball team, but also a really unselfish basketball team. The front court, as you said, Candace Parker and Emma Misaman, I've never seen a front court duo be able to pass the basketball like that. Uh, this guy, they're they're unique in their approach. You know, according to Synergy, uh, about ten point six percent of their offensive possessions came on cuts, and they scored more efficiently on them than any other WNBA team. Before this, Synergy has literally never logged a WNBA team with a cut frequency of ten percent or higher. So that just goes to show how frequently and how efficiently the Sky were able to get those uh, off ball cuts uh, going to the rim. So, like, I mean, they had two excellent passing bigs in Parker and Mieseman, as I said. Two excellent cutting wings in Copper and Gardner. Allie Quigley, who is probably one of the best off-ball players in league history. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot was also really good cutting without the ball from the point guard position. And they just had a really, overall, a really good feel for the game offensively. You know, it, it was never one player who had to carry the load on offense. Um, so the, the, the overall offensive system was pretty atypical, I would say, at least when you look at teams that are currently having success in the WNBA right now. Um, all in all, the offensive fundamentals were unbelievable. Uh, and it is really disappointing that the team wasn't able to kind of defend its title in the finals against, in my opinion, the best team in the Aces. But yeah, just a really fun team to watch throughout the entirety of the 2022 season. This is a little different than the average team that we'll do, right? Because nobody's here anymore, basically. Um, uh, but we definitely should hit on Rebecca Gardner, a player who you know made her her WNBA debut, Eric, as, as you may have heard, as a, a 31-year-old rookie. Uh, yes. A, a term we heard, I don't know, thousands of times last year, 31-year-old rookie. but More than once. Um, she was awesome. I mean, she. there were a lot of players, I think, that when we were doing this exercise last year were kind of you know, in consideration, uh, at least by, you know, people like us that just kind of speculate about things for that last roster spot. As we mentioned, Gardner, you know, didn't even come over for training camp. He w- was still playing in Spain. A-, a lot of very good and, and talented and players that-, that are either accomplished in the WNBA or overseas also kind of fighting for that spot. But, you know, James Wade recognized something in, in Rebecca Gardner, and she was just unbelievable uh, in terms of, you know, her level of actually contributing to winning basketball last year. So I think the one thing that I really want to, I really want to drive home here is that uh, she missed the start of training camp. She missed the start of the season. And for a team that has historically, at least under James Wade, really, really valued players being there on time, being able to contribute right away. I mean, that, that was ostensibly the reason they traded Gabby Williams. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Um, who, 
was kind of playing the same position that Rebecca, you know, Williams, a little more defensive versatility. But, you know, I mean, Gardner, it, it, it says everything that Wade had to trust in Gardner to show up late without a training camp, without a preseason, without the first couple of games of the season and instantly be a part of the rotation. I think, you know, you know, we, we casually watch EuroLeague. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that the WNBA community as a whole is fully on board the EuroLeague women bandwagon yet. So a lot of people didn't had no idea who Rebecca Gardner was because she had been out of the league. Like she was 31 years old, right? This isn't a player who, um, you know, maybe went undrafted for a couple seasons and then played overseas. And it's not Arella Garantes, who we're very familiar with from right, very exactly. recent years. Exactly. That's that's a good uh, good contrast there. I know, like Gardner was, was, for all intents and purposes, she was done with the WNBA. But James Wade liked what he saw overseas and she quickly rewarded his faith. I mean, she's she quickly established herself as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. You know, she's got those long arms, the quick hands, and then just the relentlessness, Stephen. You know, the, the, the last point is, I think, what separates her from most others because she's got the physical tools, but she's also a complete pain, pain to play against. Like, she will pick you up full 94 feet from the basket. She'll reach on offense. She'll reach on defensive rebounds. She'll give that second effort. She'll take the charge. She does everything. She has the mindset of an elite defender as well as the tools. And then offensively, you know, she's got a really quick first step. She's a great cutter. She plays the baseline very, very well. And she's got that interesting game, like below the free throw line, where she's got really good footwork. Like she will go to uh, her pivot foot, um, Euro step, step through moves. You don't typically see guards who are as explosive as she does, or explosive as she is, also have that kind of finesse to their uh, attacking game. You know what I mean? and she was really efficient because of it. You know, she had a 61.4% true shooting, which is third among WNBA guards. So, yeah, I mean, she came into the rotation right away, um, instantly made an impact, and the, the team was better for it. I mean, she made all-rookie team well-deserved. I think she had an argument for all-defensive team as well. But she will be back. She's one of the few players from last year's team who will be back. Got a well-deserved pay raise, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching her continue to play for this guy. And I think just like for, you know, her, her shooting profile, her, the way her jump shot looks, the, the results of her jump shot, you know, she's not an amazing three point shooter for her to, you know, kind of come in with those limitations and still be as effective as she was, uh, as you mentioned, you know, 61 and a half percent true shooting, basically. Um, it was really amazing how, how well she did, uh, offensively, you know, defensively, um, I, I don't really think it's too big a surprise. Like she has great tools, like you said. You know, she's just completely relentless uh, in her in her effort defensively as well, uh, and obviously just like her her great wingspan and athleticism. But for her to be such a positive force offensively and such a good two point scorer, basically an unguardable first step, and and the skill work around the basket, like you said, it was a really really fun season to watch, um, and you know one of the more fun players overseas, but. It's always a little bit different kind of getting that first look uh, against, you know, WNBA competition. You know, it's 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 a to- totally different league, you know, when you're trying to project someone from EuroLeague or the WNBL or Athletes Unlimited or something like this is the best league in the world for a reason. And, and Gardner obviously was able to, uh, you know, be extremely good. And, and we expect her, if she wants to be, to, to be around for a little bit longer. Uh, and I think her game is, is one that we're interested in seeing how it translates to next year's roster. Because, you know, she wasn't without her weaknesses. She had a higher turnover rate than usage percentage. Probably not good. And for as good as she is at getting to the basket and finishing around the basket, I feel like sometimes she kind of got into trouble in the paint 
where she kind of you know pivot into turnover prone situations um and that shot profile it, it, it is kind of strange you know because she was okay from three uh about 35 percent but you got to figure that a lot of those shots were completely unguarded and you know we just need to see it in uh in a different offensive ecosystem because like we said this team was so unique in how they approached offense they were very egalitarian they relied so much on cutting and Gardner was a great cutter but you need the passers in order to get the cutters the basketball and I think that is one in one of many ways in which the 2023 sky is going to be different than the 2022 sky so without further ado tell us how the 2023 sky are going to be different Stephen. Sure. They, of course, will be without Courtney Vandersloot, Candace Parker, and Azra Stevens, who have moved on to new teams. Uh, Ali Quigley announced that she will be sitting out the season. Julie Alamon has been suspended for the season for her national team obligations. And, and we, I don't think there's been an official word, but you know, we expect Emma Miesemann to be sitting out the season as well. Yeah. Um, uh, hopefully not the last we've seen Emma Miesemann in her WNBA career, although there's been quite a bit of speculation about that as well. So I mean, it's really hard to think of teams in recent years that have had this kind of turnover from one year to another, particularly, you know, extremely competitive teams that basically had a championship core on roster and now they bring back, you know, two players in their their top eight of their rotation last year. Oh, I should also mention who they brought in. Um, So they they traded for Marina Mabry. They signed uh, Courtney Williams. Isabel Harrison and Elizabeth Williams as free agents from other teams. They brought back a student due fall who of course sat out last season, sat out the WNBA and they uh, signed Alana Smith for um, a contract that I don't think we, we got a chance to talk about, but one that was a little bit surprising to the WNBA community, but uh, a player who I know has some fans with how well she's been playing overseas. So where should we start with uh, the very new looks guy? I mean, we have to talk about the Marina Mabry trade first, right? It, it wasn't chronologically the first move that this guy made, but, um, or we could go chronologically, but, you know, the Mabry trade is the thing that is going to really stand out about this offseason. If things go well for this guy, um, James Wade is going to get praised. If things do not go well for this guy, James Wade is going to catch a whole lot of heat. Because, Stephen, this, this trade is, it was a lot. I mean, this guy gave up this year's draft pick, this year's first round draft pick, rather, next year's first round draft pick. Uh, gave Dallas swap rights for 2025's first-round draft pick, a 2024 second-round pick, a 2025 second-round pick, a 2024 third-round pick, and uh, the rights to Leonie Fiebich. Fiebich? How, I'm sorry, I probably pronounced that incorrectly. But, yeah. And they got Marina Mabry. And a 2024 first-round pick from the Phoenix Mercury. So Second-round pick. Second-round pick, yeah, sorry. Um, so it's a lot. <laughs> uh, Mabry got paid, you know, three years at the lower maximum. Slightly less in her final year of her contract. But man, Stephen, if you look at this, at the amount of stuff this guy gave up, draft capital mostly, but you don't typically see a player of, how do I say this? The thing is, we like Marina Mabry. We like her a lot. But this is the type of package you usually give up to get an all-WNBA caliber player, a franchise player who is for sure going to put this team over the hump to win a championship. The Sky aren't really in that position anymore. But they gave up a ton of stuff to get Marina Mabry. So what's your take? I mean, in just like the kind of bigger league-wide sense, I think one of the more interesting things of the offseason is how like non-linear the trade value was for certain players. You know, John Quill Jones obviously netted a much smaller return than Marina Mabry. Uh, You know, Alicia Gray arguably was, 
you know, one of the, the best packages, you know, with, with two first round picks, including a lottery pick. So very, I guess, interesting in terms of who, who was valuing what and, and the leverage that players had when they were requesting trades to specific teams and stuff like that. With regards to the sky, you know, I was pretty okay with their offseason up until the Mabry trade. And, you know, I think Chicago might be pretty good. We'll, we'll get to it. But, you know, Isabel Harrison, Courtney Williams, Elizabeth Williams, those are all good WNBA players, useful in, in the right situation, you know, have been a part of, for the most part, very good teams. But respectfully, it kind of struck me as sort of a series of moves that you kind of don't anticipate being too competitive after. But, you know, you can kind of give the fans a little, a little bit something to to be excited about. It did seem, Stephen, like at least the first couple of those signings were, okay, well, we struck out on everybody who we really wanted to keep or who we really wanted to sign. So we're just going to give that money to the next tier of players. Right? And we, we need to fill out a roster somehow, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, signings that you know aren't really going to make a huge difference in the win total. You're not going to win too many games and they're not going to take you out of where you might want to be draft wise but again something that can allow you to to field a, a competent team you know not the 2020 liberty or something where you're just uh running out you know eight rookies basically on a roster and something that fans can kind of talk themselves into um but then the marina mabry trade happened and you're thinking like oh they actually want to be as competitive as they can this year at the expense of a lot of upside in upcoming drafts and there are some really good players that that are due to come into the league in the next few drafts. So, you know, Mabry gives them one more good player, which this roster, you know, they need as many good players as, as they can get, especially without their their draft picks. But I think, you know, just the, the combination of the the near max, which I think is in a vacuum, probably a fine deal for Marina Mabry. I'm okay with that. Yeah, if, if you could have just done it as a free agent, you know, I think, sure, why not? Like, again, you need good players. But that heavy heavy draft capital that you had to give up in i think you know looking around the league they probably aren't going to miss the the playoffs in 2023 sorry eric my note says 2024 you're good <laughs> um they probably aren't going to miss the playoffs in in 2023 like they'll be better than indiana and seattle and minnesota but you know they're at least in the same neighborhood i think as the rest of the teams that might be vying for a lottery pick LA and Phoenix, depending on who's available for Phoenix and Atlanta, maybe like it's not a shoe in that they are going to be at least a six seed. And, you know, that's kind of the usual cutoff for like what a good team is. I think like if, if you're, there are a lot of lukewarm teams out there right now and someone has to miss the playoffs, someone has to miss the playoffs. And yep. there's just a lot of questions about this team in 2024 and 2025 still like when they also have first round obligations out and, you know, Clay Copper might not be on this team anymore if she decides to leave as a free agent. I mean, basically nobody is under roster by the time they have their last first round pick obligation to Dallas in 2025, aside from Marina Mabry. So I don't know. It, it's pretty tough. You know, it could come back to bite them pretty good in terms of like, you know, maybe a, a Paige Beckers or a Caitlin Clark or, you know, even some not necessarily franchise changing players, but but very good players. And that's the thing about that. You know, James Wade is insistent that they're building a culture where free agents will want to play. You know, he's on record as saying players don't sign to play with draft picks. You know, look at the Liberty, look at the Aces. They're signing to play with other players. And I understand that, but you can't really compare the the situations of those franchises because the Sky is a franchise and the Aces is a franchise or the Sky is a franchise and the Liberty is a franchise. 
they're simply not equal in terms of what they can offer players off the basketball court. That's not a secret. You know, this isn't this isn't WNBA 2K23 where, you know, everything is, is simulated or whatever and everything is equal. No, I mean, like, there's more that goes into it rather than just the on-court product. So if you're trying, I understand his point, but man, again, I, I have to go back to this. If you are trading all these draft picks, you got to be a thousand percent certain that you are going to be a contending team in these upcoming seasons because if something goes wrong then you know you're not going to have those draft picks to lean back on and it's not just Stephen. what i want to what i want to make clear is it's not just the page beckers draft class it's not just the caitlin clark draft class it's not just the cameron brink draft class there are other good players in that class too like this is going to be one of the best classes i i assume so in wnba draft history like if they could have somebody like Aliyah edwards from uconn Charlize Liger Walker from Washington State, some Angel Reese, Haley Van Lith players like that, I would still be okay with that. Like, say this guy, you know, didn't make this trade and they barely make the playoffs this year and, you know, they end up losing. I was like, okay, well, I'll take Haley Van Lith as a compensation. But, like, this is still a good player who will contribute to future good teams. And they're just not giving themselves that option. So it it almost seems like it was a win-now trade for a team that's probably not going to win now, you know? And they don't really have a ton of kind of young upside blue chippers in, in the pipeline. You know, Marina Mabry is, you know, she's not old by any means, but she's, you know, coming into her prime. She's, uh, you know, 26. She'll, she'll turn 27 at the end of the year. Uh, Kalea Coppers is obviously in her prime. Like they're, they have some players that are in their prime. They don't have many players that two years from now you're thinking, okay, this player can be considerably better than they are right now, I think. Yeah. So, and here's and they are apparently a building around Kalia Copper. And this is interesting because Kalia Copper, she's a player whose career is on the upswing, you know, ever since I would say 2020 when she's just become bigger and bigger and you know now she's she's that girl. You know, she's got all the endorsements, she's got the name, she's got the visibility, but she's going to be the number one option on this team now. I I assume so, right? So, how is she going to be that franchise player? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a, a lot to kind of talk about this new look sky. Like, what what does an offense being led by Kalea Copper look like? How can she be maximized on this roster? Her most frequent play types last year, as is the case with many players, came from spot ups. Like, how does this team get her good spot up looks and put her in a position to create advantages there? It it's because they lost so much playmaking. I mean, not only did they lose the bulk of their cut offense, they, they lost arguably the best point guard in league history in Vandersloot. So you look at the rest of this team, it's, that's a very valid point. Who is setting up Kalea Copper? Not, not just players that are good playmakers and are you know good passers and stuff like that, but players that will shift the defense and you know create rotations, you know, actually scrambling the defense. And like that's what's kind of leading to a good high value spot up possession is, is being wide open. And that doesn't really happen if you're not forcing help rotations. And there's just not a whole lot of players here that you can, besides Kalea Copper, that you can count on to really force help rotations and and scramble a defense. Uh, Her two most effective play types last year were cutting and transition, you know, no surprise there. She's, She's very good moving without the basketball. She's an absolute force in the open court. Also no surprise because of how good the collective passing was and, and how good the floor balance was on this team. I, I am concerned about how she gets those possessions this year. Like, how does this team get out in transition? I, I don't really think they'll get a ton of stops, as, as we'll get to. I don't think they'll force a ton of turnovers. 
And I worry about them even finishing good defensive possessions with defensive rebounds. So, you know, the the passing is, we, we've talked about it a lot. We'll probably talk about it a lot more in terms of, you know, how other players on this team are going to kind of take advantage of Kalea Copper's gifts. Uh, I, I don't really know what that looks like. I'm not, not to say it, it can't happen. Um, one thing I want to ask you, Eric, like she was almost a full assist per 36 minutes up from the previous season last year. Did you see growth in her game as a playmaker or was it kind of more just being on one of like the best passing teams of all time and, you know, kind of playing within the flow of that offense, do you think? That's a good question. And to be honest, I saw more, gro- more growth from her as a playmaker in the previous offseason when she was playing for Avenida in Spain over in EuroLeague. Uh, that was a situation in which she was in the pick and roll pretty often. And I did see ma- her making good reads. Like it wasn't just, you know, get the screen and go. You know, she was making pocket passes. She was assessing the situation and, you know, using hesitation moves to get past uh, the big in the pick and roll. But I think last season it was it was more to do with the offensive ecosystem. I think you're completely right. So if you are looking to build an offense around Kalia Copper, in my opinion, she simply needs to be a threat in the pick and roll. She needs to be a threat as a pick and roll ball handler because to this point in her career, I mean, she's mainly been an off ball player, right? She's been a player who's made her hay in transition, which is great, which I expect her to continue to do. We love transition possessions. They're good. They're efficient offense. But I mean, her career assist rate is 9.4% and was all the way up to 12.9%. Now, do I expect her to put up Vandersloot type of numbers, you know, assisting on 45% of her teammates' baskets? Absolutely not. But if you are putting her in the pick and roll, Teams are going to adjust to that. They're going to play her for the drive. They're going to play her for the shot. They're going to play her for attacking the rim. So she's got to be able to make those reads at the WNBA level and make those decisions at the WNBA level. And for as good as competition as EuroLeague women is, it's still not the WNBA. So if you are building an offense around Clea Copper, again, she's got to be a threat to pass. She's got to be a threat to use those physical advantages and maximize the talents of her teammates with them as well. Yeah, in these two, you know, kind of fully realized sky seasons with Candace Parker, 126 assists and 123 turnovers, you know, basically kind of like a, a flat one-to-one. And they're, they're just going to need more out of her. And I'm excited to kind of see what it looks like. I, I don't really know if I would bet on her being, you know, a, a quote-unquote playmaker, but, you know, put the ball in her hands. It, you know, it, it's now or never, I guess. She's coming into, like we said, we have the, to. the prime of her career at, at age 28 um so because who else is going to be doing it on this team they don't have a traditional point guard like i said we love mabry um we like dana evans i think do we like dana evans i like dana evans yeah I like but dana evans. nobody in the backcourt is really going to be that type of player who can you know put up that assist rate of 35 40 percent and nobody else on the backcourt is really like i just was talking about uh, on the receiving end, shifting defenses the defense, in yeah. the way that Kalea Copper can. So. And in contrast to last season, you look at the front court: Isabel Harrison, play finisher. Elizabeth Williams, play finisher. Astudu Fall, play finisher. Alana Smith, play finisher. You know, you're you're completely losing everything that made this offensive ecosystem so effective last season. It, it's going to be a fresh slate, you know. So it, it could be really horrible, and it could be you know above average. Like we we simply don't know. Well, the the other thing about that group of players that you just mentioned, you know, Harrison, Elizabeth Williams, Astu Dufall, like you want the ball in Kalea Copper's hands in the pick and roll more often. Like all of those bigs are at their best as pick and roll rollers. So if yeah. if this offense is, is going to be maximized and all these players are, are going to kind of be the best versions of themselves on this roster, uh, it's going to be 
heavy, heavy pick and roll, whether it's Copper. I imagine Mabry's going to be doing a lot of that. Courtney Williams probably has some of her best moments as, as a pick and roll player. So, you know, that's, that's I imagine, going to be what the offense looks like. Much more kind of traditional pick and roll play more than sort of, you know, the spacing and passing and cutting of 2022. And, and, and 2021 as well, kind of. But that, that makes me uh, wonder, Stephen, do you think pick and roll is going to be their, their go-to play here? Because I assume that the this is going to be one of the top teams in terms of pace. You know, when you think about this uh, half-court offense from last season, I think they did sacrifice a bit of their pace in favor of efficiency, in favor of half-court efficiency. Um, but they're going to need to get out and run more often, you know? And they're going to need to get their shots earlier in the shot clock. Because otherwise, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just going to be more difficult to find efficient offense in this with this group. Yeah, I would agree with you. I kind of want to talk about the the rest of this rotation here. What are reasonable expectations for Dana Evans in her third season? We talked about her a little bit in our 25 players, 25 and under episode, but not really to the extent as like players at at the top of the list where we, you know, took up the majority of the time. But, you know, how much would you expect her to play this year? Is she going to be a 12-minute per game player, like strictly as a backup point guard? Because I have to imagine... She'll play less than Rebecca Gardner, who will be like the primary backup wing playing alongside sure. either Courtney Williams or Kalea Copper. That's a good question. And I think expectations are going to be pretty high for Dana this, this coming season. Um, it was a point of contention last season uh, when, when uh, a lot of people were arguing over who should be backing up Vandersloot. Well, with no element anymore, it's going to be Dana Evans. And I think she has earned this. You know, she's been playing really well overseas. I know that that line can kind of make some people gag because not every overseas season is going to translate to the WNBA success. But Dana Evans showed some things last season when she was kind of pressed into action early. We know what she can do. She can bomb away from three-point range, off the dribble, under screens, in transition. She's really, really good at that. She can get to the rim. I'm not sold on her finishing ability at the rim yet. I still think she's more of a scoring point guard than a distributing point guard, which is all fine and good. But I think she has to play more than 12 minutes a game because look at their roster right now. They've got how many primary ball handlers do they have? I would not consider Courtney Williams a primary ball handler. Would you consider would really... Dana Evans a primary ball handler? Well, maybe not, but I wouldn't consider maybe a primary ball handler either. But, you know, that's what they're paying her the big bucks to do. So I think she has to play. I think she has to play because right now they've only got three guards. I'm guessing Fiona Fitzgerald is going to have a good shot at making this team as well as a backup. But again, Evans is going to need the ball in her hands when she plays. And if she's on the court at the same time, I think you brought this up in our free agency recap, one of those episodes. She and Mabry can theoretically play together, right? Because Mabry's got good enough size to play the two guard and maybe not get totally killed on defense. The problem here is that Dana Evans is a one-position defender, right? She's five foot five. If they say she's five six, I don't believe it. I think she's closer to five foot five. And I think, I mean, she's she's aggressive, but she's a pest on that end. But she, you know, she's going to get overwhelmed by bigger players. So. She's a player who's going to need to guard the point of attack, and she's going to need the ball in her hands in order to be most effective. So with that in mind, if they're going into this season with only three or four guards, I, I can't see her stapled at the bench again like she was last season. I just can't. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I I think that she probably will play less than Rebecca Gardner, but I, I, I still think she's going to play less than like 20 minutes a game. I don't think she's going to be a, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. a, a heavy rotation player. Um, You know, maybe she can get up to like, 16 minutes a game playing a few minutes per game alongside uh marina mabry honestly like i want to see as much of that combination as possible because i think it's basically the only time that this team is really going to have like two 
very good three-point shooters on the floor at the same time. You know, it's just they're they're going to be at their best floor spacing with Mabry and, and Evans, you know, two players that will actually take threes at a pretty high volume. And then, you, you know, you've got Copper who can who can hit some, but is not like, uh, you know, a dead-bang three-point shooter or anything like that. Most of them are assisted. Yeah, most of them are assisted. And, and Evans and Mabry can, can self-create threes in a way that, you know, nobody else on this roster is really going to do. Um, so, you know, that that's, to me, a very intriguing combination, even if, like you said, questionable defensively. You know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think, as you said, there are definitely high expectations for year three of Dana Evans. And, you know, she should definitely play more. But I, I still think she's probably, like, you know, the fourth perimeter player in the rotation behind Gardner, who's a very good player. Probably. You know, no, no, no shade there at all. What do you think is the best starting big combo for this team? You know, I, I think you can basically make a case for any combination of, of three, but to me, maybe this is just speculate. I mean, it's a hundred percent speculation, not maybe, but <laughs> Isabel Harrison feels like the closest to a lock to start. I, I think each set basically comes with its pros and cons, but how, what would you be thinking here? I agree with that. Um, right now, I think I'd go with Harrison and a studio fall because as for as good of a player as Elizabeth Williams is on the defensive side of the ball, once again, I, I've talked about how much I hate the fit offensively between her and Harrison because just everything is below the free throw line with them. And with the lack of spacing this team is already going to be working with from the perimeter, I mean, you, you just can't afford to have the paint clog up like that. I mean, I think Elizabeth is going to play a lot of minutes. She, she's like, the best defensive player, I think. Yeah, so she has to, right? She, she's going to have a larger role than she did in Washington last season. Probably going to have a larger role than she did in Atlanta her past couple seasons there. But it's going to be hard to justify a front court of her and Harrison because the offensive fit is just not good, you know. And with I think they because they they signed a Stu Fall after those two players, so I feel like that was kind of a thing where okay, we're going to bring some we're going to bring a oh god a stretch big into this rotation, um, and then they signed Smith as well who profiles as a, as a stretch big because I'm not sure what else she would be doing, but I, I think it's going to be a, a Du Fall and and Harrison. Yeah, for to, starters. To to your point, uh, you know, Izzy Harrison, I think probably the best offensive player in a vacuum out of the three of them. But she's, I agree. I think she she takes a lot of possessions that are not necessarily in her wheelhouse. You know, she was fifty seven percent in the restricted area last year and thirty three percent outside of the restricted area on almost equal volume. So, uh, you know, she's she's very good as a straight roller. She's was surprisingly effective as a post-up player in the 91st percentile posting up last year. You know, the path to this team actually becoming a good offense, I think heavily involves Isabel Harrison. And, you know, a stew, I think she gives you a little bit more rebounding than Elizabeth Williams. I think she's, you know, the thing about all these players is like they're, they're best offensively when they're being used as the pick and roll big. You know, a stew yeah. is not really... As much as, you know, you kind of half-jokingly called her a floor spacer, like, she's, she's not a very effective jump shooter. Like, she's, that shot was basically there for one year. It, it hasn't really been around for a while. So when you have players that are, you know, primarily, you know, they're all maximized when they're rolling to the hoop in the pick and roll. Um, you know, Isabel Harrison and Astu will take some pick-and-pop shots, but those are not really effective shots for either of them. Um, well, for Izzy, they're all mid-range shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Estu will at least stretch out to to three a little bit, but again, you know, at maybe low thirties or something like that. So, I don't know. It, it's a clunky fit all around. Do you think Alana Smith or Annalie Maley do either have a case for being the third big? 
I'm not sure about third big, but I think Smith will be a big part of the rotation because James Wade said so. But yeah, um, I think if there is a stretch for on this roster, it's going to be Smith. Once again, a player who is playing very, very, very well overseas. So if this is a light bulb going off moment for Smith, then that's going to be another feather in James Wade's GM cap pertaining to picking players up off the scrap heap kind of overseas and, and, and reaping the rewards when they come back to the WNBA. But no one else really profiles as a big who is going to maximize the other bigs. And, and you know, and then, then at the end of this big rotation too, you've got, you know, Lee Rue, maybe Christina Nigue, who I think is just going to be a training camp body, Ruthie Hebert. I mean, those players all have their strengths, but they don't, just, just don't complement each other very well. And you say, okay, well, they're really Ruthie Hebert, a fourth big who's best as a pick and roll finisher. Yeah. So it's like, and here's the thing you keep mentioning they're, they're good in the pick and roll. Well, this guy don't have any good pick and roll guards anymore. And also so, when, when you have one big in the pick and roll, the other big ideally is not near the basket. Yeah. It's pretty difficult to run the pick and roll when everyone's in the paint. So yeah, this is, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be, I, I think Steven, the patch this team becoming at least an acceptable offense is. You gotta be suggest- you, you gotta have a good shot selection, which worries me because some of these players have historically not had very efficient shot diets. But I, they can't be relying too heavily on post ups. They can't be relying heavily heavily on two point jump shots off the dribble. You know you just need to be hunting good shots on this team because there's not enough margin for error for them not to do so. That's a great point. Great way to put it. I think. Um, Thank you. So they will only be able to keep eleven players, which I think for a team of this caliber, you know, I think is yeah. is kind of a miss, you know, for James Wade as as much as we have complimented him earlier in this episode for for previous moves. You know, to me, eleven player rosters, like obviously we just have to find a CBA solution to allow every team to both pay their best players and still fill out a complete roster. But because outside, this is getting wor- this is getting worse every year. Yeah, but outside know. of that, like even with this current situation, like eleven player rosters, I think should really be reserved for like absolute title contenders or teams that are at least seriously building towards title contention. And you know that's that's just not this team. Like this is a team that should have one extra bite at the apple. You know, in terms of like being able to carry a twelfth young player who you can see in practice every week, or you know, I, I mean, I'm sure hardship contracts will come and go as they always do, but. You know, it's just not the same as having somebody for a full season, I think. You know, Stephen, this, this thing about this point that you're making, which is completely valid, that I, I think I want to add on to it, they don't need to have 11. Like, they could easily have gone with 12 players if they really wanted to. You know? I mean, Gardner got a pay raise, very well deserved. You know, they're paying Smith 100 k You know, we're never going to say on this podcast, oh, a player doesn't deserve, deserve that money, but who are they bidding against? For Alana Smith for one thousand one hundred thousand. Who were they bidding against for a Stu Dufall for one hundred fifteen thousand? One hundred fifteen thousand. Yeah, there was a path there to carry twelve players and to be a deeper team. You know, this isn't a situation like last season where they said, "Okay, we can barely field like Courtney Vandersloot." I'm sorry, we need to squeeze your contract. Like you need to, like we are going right up against the salary cap, literally. Like not not a penny, not a penny uh, left over. Um, that's not the case this season. Like you said. This is probably not going to be a championship caliber team. So why are you carrying 11 players when you could carry 12? I I don't know. That, that's a good point. So I think the last spot will probably come down to Anigwe, uh, Annalie Maley, or Lee Yaru. Um, but you also mentioned Fitzgerald. Like, you, you think there's... Is that... Is there elements to her game you, you specifically like, or is it more just like position of need situation? 
a little bit of both. A little bit of both. You know, Fitzgerald, she's had a few cups of coffee in the WNBA, hasn't really stuck around. But, you know, that's, especially for point guards, that's that's not really an indication of her game at all. There's Because point guard is such a competitive position. It's difficult to unseat an incumbent point guard in the league with these salary cap constraints and these roster constraints. So I, th- I definitely think Fitzgerald can play at this level. Um, for her, it's, you know, she's been around for a minute now. I think the veteran presence is going to be big for this because she's going to be the most natural point guard on this roster. As much as I hate to use the term, you know, like natural point guard, pure point guard, things like that. In this case, it is going to be a necessity though, because you got to have a player who's comfortable with the ball in their hands, making plays for others. We've already touched on, you know, how Dana Evans is best off the ball in most cases. Marina Mabry is really good off the ball. Williams can make some plays for others, but she's mostly an off-ball player as well. You got to have somebody who's used to playing a full game of point guard. You know what I mean? Um, and again, she's another one of those overseas vets who I think is going to have a team-friendly contract. So th- I think she's going to make the team unless they do something crazy on draft day and you know, say, "Up, oh, this is our point guard of the future." I think Fitzgerald is going to have a good shot at making this team. So, because like right now, like I said, they've got three ball handlers, two point five ball handlers, maybe if you, if you want to be funny about it. So. It is going to be a uh, it is going to be a need because then going back to the rest of the team, who's making plays from every other position? Not not really anybody. Yeah, and so, they obviously, you know, they're like most WMA teams that they're not short on bigs. They have like you know basically guaranteed five players <laughs> that could play center in the WMA. Yeah, you love you love that. Yeah, um, with with eleven roster spots, with eleven roster spots, it's funny. Like teams, if they're if teams have 11 roster spots, they will give that extra spot to a big rather than a ball handler. It's, it's interesting, but I digress. Um, yeah, I, I think Fitzgerald is a good bet to make the team as of right now, because if you look at what they have, they've already addressed the front court plenty. We'd expect the, the competition to be Maley, Anigwe, and Hebert, right? Right now, there is no competition at guard, but you got to have somebody there. Well, I mean, Hebert's going to make the team because she's protected. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and then Maley, you asked me about Maley. I think Maley is kind of just like a chaos agent, and I mean that in a good way. You know, she's kind of a—I uh, don't want to—I don't want to call her a, tween, a tweener, a combo forward. I think that term is a little more, a little more diplomatic. Sounds a little um, nicer, yeah, sure. It does. It, it, it does sound a little nicer, yeah. Because tweener, you could be either a good thing or a bad thing. But you know, she could play either the three or the four. She's got some familiarity with James Wade and, and, and what he wants to do here, um, after briefly appearing on the team. But I don't know if she's got a WNBA level skill, unless you consider hustle to be a skill. Yeah, I mean, I, I she she definitely has a nose for the basketball, as they say. But yeah, yes, I'm, yes. I'm not sure, uh, like you, what she'll what she's you know guaranteed to do well, and you know what what is the thing that she's in your rotation to do. As much as I like her, and she's you know one of my favorite players to watch overseas. When you have 11 roster spots, like you can't, uh, you got to be judicious about that. Yeah, for sure. So, Eric, this is something we, we wanted to talk about here. Do you think the Chicago Sky next year will be a better offensive team or a better defensive team? I'm not sure I've got a strong uh, preference on this. I, I'm I'm going to go defense. I'm going to going to go defense because I think we've talked plenty by now about how we don't like the offensive fit between these front court players. Um, we're worried about back court players making plays in the pick and roll. We're worried about lack of floor spacing. Those are all difficult things to overcome when put together. Defensively, are they undersized? Yeah. Yeah. Are they going to get beat up by the bigger low post players in the league? Probably. But I think you always have the option as a coach to try to speed the game up and to force 
teams to try to, to turn the ball over. Um, they don't. They have some personnel who I think are good at forcing turnovers. This is something where it's like if you look at uh, steal percentage on Basketball Reference, a lot of players on this roster had down years last season in steal percentage. I think Copper was below one percent for the first time in her career. It's also surprising how she just like never blocks shots for a player with her athleticism. It is. It is. But the thing about this to me is that this is like the only route I see for them being an acceptable defense. Like if they play a conservative scheme defensively, they're they're going to have a bad time. They're going to get so cooked. They're, they're going to get cooked in the half court because they just don't have the size. Um, and, you know, as much as we say, you know, okay, you know, post-ups aren't great. It, that's not just, that's not all about what size is, is, is about, you know, um, rebounding, not sold on them being a good rebounding team. Um, Copper and Gardner, I think, I think you just have to do, I think this just has to be the way. Cause you look at the athleticism on the perimeter. That's the one thing that stands out to me as a surefire strength of this team. Copper, Gardner, Courtney Williams, all elite athletes at their positions, even though maybe Williams' athleticism advantages aren't really leveraged like the other two. Um, defensively, I think they're all capable of getting out there and forcing those turnovers. So like I said, while, while Copper, you know, she didn't really get that many steals last season, she didn't really block any shots, which is, it's interesting you bring that up because I never consider it. Um, she, she, had, expect- she had one last year, in case you were curious. Only one? Wow. That's, that's, that, that's something to f- I feel like it's, you almost have to not want to block shots with that kind of athleticism. I'm not saying Kalia Copper doesn't want to block shots, but maybe that's just not her. That could just be coaching, like you're saying, stay down, stay stay disciplined on that end. I think she's going to be unleashed on defense this season. Her, you, you'd expect Gardner to be in the top 10 in steal percentage again. Um, I'd expect Courtney Williams to have a better steal percentage. Marina Mabry is is capable of you know getting her hands in there. While she doesn't have that kind of athleticism, she does have the, the tenacity on that end of the court. She definitely competes out there. So I just think this is the way. Because if they don't, like you said, they're going to get cooked. Williams, very capable of blocking shots. Harrison can maybe force some turnovers on her own. She's got good uh, lateral movement for a big. So I think they need to take advantage of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd like to see Isabel Harrison play in an aggressive defensive scheme. I, I, yeah, I, I think what you're saying is all true, particularly, you know, the, uh, the perimeter players. I think they, I have a little bit more faith in them to be kind of, uh, you know, turnover forcers, I guess, than, than the bigs outside of Elizabeth Williams, who, you know, block shots aren't even necessarily turnovers. They, they can go out of bounds and, and stay with the same team, but they, they don't really have a ton of players that are going right. to force a ton of steals or get into the passing lanes too often. I mean, they have a couple... I was actually leaning offense, Eric. I, I thought they would maybe be a better offensive team than a defensive team. They do have a couple good defenders, you know, particularly Gardner and Kalea Copper uh, and Elizabeth Williams, who... May play a lot, may not play a lot. Uh, I think it remains to be seen. They have some defenders who have like good reputations who might in reality be a little bit more hit and miss. And they have a couple of players that I think might have some targets on their back by opposing offenses. Uh, Dana Evans, specifically, like you said, uh, maybe Isabel Harrison a little bit, maybe Alana Smith a little bit. Players. I think Mabry. Mabry, yeah. Because sure. you're not, I mean, you're not going to go after Gardner and you're probably not going to go after Copper if you can avoid it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I so mean, it could if, just be the lowest player on the totem pole regardless. If you're just kind of picking out your options, okay, who do we want to go at in this starting yeah, lineup? Right, exactly. Or, um, I mean, you know, if this team wanted to either maximize their offense or maximize their defense, I was kind of thinking of like what the lineups would be. You know, if you wanted to just go all offense without doing something, you know, like playing Rebecca Gardner or Kalea Copper at the four, right? You'd probably go Mabry, Evans, 
Copper, Alana Smith, Izzy Harrison. Like, that's your all-offense lineup. And then defensively, it's probably Mabry again, even though, like we said, not not a perfect solution, but Gardner, Copper, Astu, and Elizabeth Williams. Like, that's probably your best defensive five, I, I would say. Sure. Maybe the second one will play a little bit more. Like, I, I don't think there's really any chance that you're going to have Marina Mabry, Dana Evans, and Alana Smith all on the court together. Like, I think coaches are just too you know, all offensive verse. Like, I, I think it's just going to come down to, like, they're going to try to balance it a little bit more in a way that probably won't optimize either. Like, I don't think Courtney Williams would be on my all, my offense only or my defense only lineups, but we'll play. Well, I got bad news for you. <laughs> yeah, but, but she, you know, going to, they'll, they'll play a little more as, like, you know, two-way play because she's she's uh, a serviceable player on, on both sides, you know, sure. my misgivings aside about her shot selection and stuff like that, but. Um, so I think a lot of it will come down to, you know, whether they're a better offense or a defense is like, which of the, the big combinations get major playing time, who, who's kind of winning out that playing time battle. And then like, which combinations are really playing heavy minutes together. Like is a stew going to primarily be a four or a five is, is she playing alongside Elizabeth Williams? Like that team is going to struggle to score, but they can hold up defensively against a lot of teams, I think. And they can probably hold up on the glass better than a lot of the combinations that this team has. A stew next to Alana Smith? Is he Harrison next to Alana Smith? Like, all right, now we're talking about a team that can that can score pretty well, can open up driving lanes for Kalea Copper and, and Rebecca Gardner. So I think a lot of it does come down to like the big combinations and and how that is going to open up the floor for everyone else. That's those are all great points. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this is just matchup based. If they don't stick with the same starting front court for half the season. I mean, James Wade, this is something he's done in the past where, you know. The, the example that you always like to bring up is, well, yeah, he benched Allie Quigley down the stretch for defensive purposes. Or, you know, even in the bubble season when uh, the Sky were kind of on their slide there, like he was bringing Hebert in and out of the starting lineup. He was, uh, you know, bringing Dolson in and out of the starting lineup. So if something isn't working, James Wade is willing to, you know, play around with his rotations a little bit. And I think that is one of his strengths as a head coach. Um, of course, as a GM as well, he's put this roster together. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just, not married to any sort of starting lineup at this point. Obviously, Mabry's going to be in there. Copper's going to be in there. Williams is probably going to be in there. But as, as far as the front court is concerned, it could very well be matchup-based. The other thing that kind of had me leaning offense is that, you know, you just go through the offenses throughout the league. Obviously, Vegas will be elite. New York, of course, will be better than last year. Hard to find other elite offenses. You know, Connecticut will probably be a worse offense than they were last year, just in a vacuum Dallas might be worse offense, depending on how everybody fits. You know, I know people are excited about their their offseason. I think I'm a little bit lower on it than some Minnesota. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. We sure will. Uh, Minnesota and Seattle were both in the top half last year. They're obviously going to be much worse offenses. Washington, I think, is one that could really go either way in the regular season. You know, they were kind of middling, obviously a lot better in the limited games that Deladon played. Um, Another team that might just be better by proxy of everyone else being worse. You know, Phoenix gets Brittany Griner back, but how much of their season will they have? Skylar Diggins-Smith. So I think I, I just have more questions about everybody else's offense. And, you know, I think teams can just, good coaching can kind of cobble together good defenses maybe. And I think that goes for this team and, and some other teams as well. But I don't know. I, I, I was leaning offense. I think they just have more like offensive players. You know, do you want this player like, are they more known for making an impact offensively or defensively? And for a lot of them, it's, it's offense. Okay, that's a fair point. I wasn't looking. So you're looking at it in a relative manner. 
like relative to the rest of the league. Like, okay, well, this this offense may not be great. This offense may not be great. This offense we've got questions about. I mean, the Sky are certainly not in in a boat all to themselves when it comes to concerns about their their offense. So that's a good point. So what do we got for strengths and weaknesses here? I think it's time. Okay. Um, strengths, again, perimeter athleticism is the first thing that stands out to me. How this is going to be leveraged is has yet to be seen, but I'm having a hard time thinking of a trio of perimeter players that are more athletic than Copper, Gardner, and Williams. Is there one? Um, hmm, caught me off guard. I mean, maybe um, maybe Washington? I, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of maybe uh, weighing Sykes heavily and... and I mean, Cloud and Atkins are, are good athletes, but they're not like Kalea Copper athletes. Sure, and and I guess my point is like you're, they're going to be able to field a full forty minutes of really good perimeter athleticism. You know, not all of them need to play at the same time, of course, but you're not going to really have many possessions against subpar perimeter athletes against this team. Um, I, this this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. I hope they're going to be better at forcing turnovers, better than average, due to the tenacity they're going to need to play with. Again, this is just something that they're, they're going to need, need to do. Um, otherwise they're just going to get cooked in the half court defensively. Um, and then here's something you, you just brought up. I mean, this is going to sound kind of goofy, but they've got players who can make tough shots. We'll see how often those tough shots go in, but they've got several players who can, you know, create their own shot out of nothing, which can be the difference between a win and a loss at the end of a game. You know, again, I don't know how, how true this is going to be. But there are several players who I'd feel comfortable, you know, with the shot clock winding down. Okay, maybe it's not an, it's not an efficient shot, but they've got players who can make those tough shots in the half court. Um, and then I think transition yeah. play. I think transition play is going to be a strength too. They, because they, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say they yeah. aren't like you're saying they aren't starved for self creation. Like they have players who can you know get to a dribble pull up and, and stuff like that. like unlike Connecticut, who I think we both think is going to be a better offense like when you just think about that one specific thing like okay it's getting late and we need someone to kind of create something even if it's not you know uh, the most efficient shot the most kind of like a high percentage in terms of you know your your analytics and stuff like that but they're not going to get that every possession no matter how well you play so uh in regards to transition like i think they'll be good in transition when they can get out there i just worry about their ability to to get stops and to to finish possessions like i i think let's well, you know, we'll get to weaknesses, but I think rebounding might be a serious inhibitor of how good they can be in transition. And, you know, they also, they lost a lot of outlet passing last year. Uh, yeah, they sure uh, did. You know, they have the athletes to, to get on a run, but they just don't have that type of, that level of, um, you know, rebound, you know, turning the defensive rebound into a good transition possession, um, you know, in either half of that equation, I guess. So um, what else do you have for strengths? Um, let's see. If any. <laughs> no, I think, you know, relative to the rest of the league, I think they'll be pretty good in the pick and roll. Like, as we mentioned, most of their bigs are at their best offensively when they're using the pick and roll. A stew, 1.66 points per possession, rolling to the hoop in 2021. 0.553 points per possession in spot ups that season. Elizabeth Williams, you know, over a point per possession, rolling to the hoop last year. 0.7 points per possession posting up. Like, if their bigs are going to find success offensively it's probably going to be working with you know one of these guards one of these perimeter players getting a a roll to the hoop and and finishing that way courtney williams you know if she can do anything with league average efficiency it's operate in the pick and roll get to her mid-range spot make a play for the roller 
you know, Mabry's best skill as a passer, I think, is is probably also finding the roller, in my opinion. Like, she really likes that overhand, right-hand pass that we've seen a bunch of times uh, in the WNBA and in EuroLeague this year. So that's, you know, it's it's not the most efficient play when you're just going through, like, what WNBA teams, you know, are averaging over a point per possession. But relative to the league, I, I think they can do it as well as just about anyone. I don't think they'll turn it over too much. You know, you talked about their defensive turnover rate. I think their offensive turnover rate should be all right as well. You know, I, I guess unless some of these players are just really overtaxed in playmaking roles, you know, like maybe Kalea Copper just has too much on her plate from that perspective. But they don't really have a ton of play. I mean, a lot of that is because they have so many self-creators and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But they don't have a ton of, like, you know, turnover machines. Um, and a lot of that, you know, comes down to a lack of value-added passing in, in some ways. But What's that? Like, you can't turn it over if you're shooting it first? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, it, if it hits the rim, it doesn't count as a turnover. So, um, And I also don't think they'll fall too much. You know, I, I am not sure opponents will need them to fall to score efficiently. But I, I don't think their opponents will be living at the line. Like, most of their players are, are pretty low foul players you know on a per minute basis so weaknesses uh rebounding i mentioned like i I just think this team is going to get killed on the glass you know against basically any any decent rebounding team you know a stew was a pretty good defensive rebounder the last time she played in the w but they're a little undersized throughout their you know their big spots with a lot of players who have never really anchored very good defensive rebounding units yeah that's very fair that's very fair um Sticking with the front court for a second, just the playmaking from the front court. I know it, it, you can't really compare this roster to last year's because it's so much different. But I mean, they went to having by far the best passing front court in the league to maybe the worst. I'm, I'm not saying you know Williams and Harrison and, and uh, Studu fall can't pass, but that's just not their game. You know, so I mean, this it's going to need to be completely overhauled what they did. Again, how about playmaking from the backcourt as well? You know, how many of these players have proven themselves to be value-added passers at this level? You know, I mean, I know Mabry wants to play point guard. Um, you mentioned that Courtney Williams is, is a good playmaker in the pick and roll. How often is she going to be used there? Don't know. I don't know. It's just the, the overall amount of playmaking on this roster is, I've got serious questions about it, and if you don't have good enough playmaking, it's going to be hard to manufacture efficient offense for a full 40 minutes. Yeah, I agree with, uh, you know, just overall passing, obviously. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not going to be, I think, uh, one of the better teams there. What did we talk about last week for Connecticut? Collective passing? I think it applies here, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Three-point shooting, I think, might be a little bit of a weakness. You know, Mabry has some shooting versatility to her game. She's able to kind of create some some pull-ups off the dribble, some step-back threes. Uh, you know, she was at 36% her three years in Dallas on pretty tough shot selection. So, you know, I think 36% with the types of threes that Mabry takes, you know, that's more valuable probably than, you know, a Bridget Carlton at, you know, 38%, you know, a kind of standstill shooter type of, of player. But I think the more creation burden, you know, she has, the, the, the tougher her looks get, obviously. And I imagine she's going to be taking a lot of high difficulty looks. Uh, Evans is probably their best bet for like a player over 38% three-point shooter but you know depending on the type of looks again that she can get even though she was statistically a below average shooter last year copper is a decent three-point shooter you know a lot of that's catch and shoot i I don't really think of her as like an off the dribble three-point player but i agree you know none of their bigs can shoot really uh alana smith is the closest thing to someone that profiles as a shooter but has never done it in the WNBA. uh harrison doesn't take him williams doesn't take him courtney williams 
uh, from the guard spot is, of course, a capable three-point shooter, 36% since her third year in the league, but she just never takes them. Um, obviously, you know, Elizabeth Williams and Rebecca Gardner don't really take threes too often in, uh, in the case of Gardner, never obviously for Williams. So, you know, they, they just don't really have too many good quality shooters. Like they, they're not going to be playing with a very spaced floor unless they are really creative with their ball and body movement. Well, it's not sounding too good, is it? <laughs> a lot needs to go right for this team. You know, I think in, in general, this is a team that is going to be working with a lot of new pieces. Uh, a lot of their, mo- most of their players who played the most last season are no longer here. In any case, no matter what level of, of players you have, it's it's going to be a tough a, a tall order to get the, everyone on the same page at the same time. You know what I mean? So you're basically saying, okay, Copper is going to be our main cog, which she never has been before, and then we're bringing in starters at point guard, shooting guard, power forward, center. So it's going to be Kalia Copper in a role she's never been in before, surrounded by four all new players. That's a lot. You know, it's 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 difficult to expect a team that's basically just been cobbled together, it's hard. It's going to be hard to get them on the same page at the same time. Obviously, they're going to need, to need to play in a very specific way in order to be successful. So that might kind of mitigate whatever, you know, weaknesses or weaknesses and cohesion they may have. But um, preseason is going to be, it's going to be critical for this team. It's going to be paramount that they, you know, find an identity and find it quick. Otherwise, it could be a struggle. Eric, do you think this team will make the playoffs? Yes. Yeah, probably. I mean, now you didn't ask me what seed I think they will be. Um, I think they're going to finish between six and eight. Yeah, I mean, they to me they are like you know second tier from the bottom. They're not in the bottom tier. You know, that's where I would kind of put Indiana, Minnesota, Seattle. But but I mean, they're they're clearly better than those teams. Yeah, I think so. But like clearly. I said, somebody else has to miss the playoffs. You know, with Steph Talbot's injury and and. Los Angeles missing some other players uh, for for big chunks of, of the upcoming season. Like I, that really stinks. I think they're probably a, a good bet to be better than Los Angeles, and you, that kind of like you know rounds out your your lottery. Um, but they're they're right in that same neighborhood. I think is you know Los Angeles and Phoenix and, and Dallas and Atlanta. Uh, I I don't think there's too much separation between any of those teams. I don't know if what I'm about to say makes any sense, but I'm going to say it anyway. So buckle up. This team needs to make the playoffs. They have no choice, so that may be a good, <laughs> a good way of saying, "Hey, they're they're gonna do whatever they can to make the playoffs because they literally have no draft picks coming up, so they're gonna do whatever they can." And if that means playing their starters a ton of minutes, they're gonna do that. If it means making some weird moves at the deadline, they're gonna do that. They, they've essentially locked themselves into contending status whether they are actually contenders or not. You know what I mean? So whatever approach needs to be taken in order to squeeze as many wins out of this roster as they can, they're going to take it. And I'm not trying to say, like, no other team is going to do that, but if you look at other teams in that tier, well, like, if, if L.A. misses the playoffs, like, okay, they could blame injuries. They could say, okay, that's not too bad. But, you know, we've got the 2024 draft coming up, great draft. Everyone can say that except Chicago. <laughs> so um, they're married to the idea of making the playoffs. They're going to do whatever they can to make the playoffs. If that means, again, if that means starting 36 different lineups, I don't think that's possible, but if that means starting a bunch of different lineups, they're going to do that. If it means playing a ton of starters minutes, they're going to do that. You know what I mean here, Steven? 
Yeah, I mean, they're at the point where they just have to push all their their. They have to go know, for it. They they have put themselves in a position where, you know, like you said, they're they're not contenders, but they have to have the mindset of being contenders because, you know, I mean, sunk cost fallacy, obviously, like you know, don't play a player through injury or something because you might give up the number one pick or something like that. You you've already given up the picks. It's not going to yeah. It's not going to do you any more harm. But the cost has already been sunk. Uh, yeah, but um, maybe. Chicago, this franchise just couldn't really, they're, they're not the Liberty, you know, they, maybe they just couldn't stomach a full rebuild if they could help it. Maybe. And, you know, like I said, it's at the, at the start, James Wade is convinced that this is the way to go with, uh, you know, building a culture through free agent signings. So, and, and there's, there's only one way we can find out if that's true or not. And that's to see what happens at the end of all these contracts. So anything else you've got on this guy? No, I think we can wrap up. Okay, let's do it. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we always appreciate, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we'll be back with another Team Outlook DVD. Thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next time.